The following audio program may contain content not suitable for some humans. Listener discretion is advised. COVID-19. The coronavirus. Our feeds are filled with panic and fear. Our leaders urge caution. Some seal themselves away in self-quarantine. Others are forced to choose between exposing their vulnerable family members to the virus or losing their jobs. While yet more emergency workers, grocery stores, gas stations, restaurants, and Uber-slash-delivery drivers have no choice but to work in dangerous conditions. People are dying. The consensus seems to be that the species will survive, but the worst is yet to come. While coronavirus is no fucking joke, there's another, even more devastating disease plaguing humanity that you might not even be aware you've been exposed to, though you've definitely felt the symptoms. And that's not the half of it. In a world thick with bullshit, we need someone who can call bullshit. This episode of Not the Half of It is brought to you by Intermittent Fasting. Intermittent Fasting is the planet's oldest weight management program consisting of not eating all the fucking time. Before intermittent fasting, I never realized the reason I kept gaining weight was because I was always eating. Sometimes three times a day, sometimes six or seven if counting small snacks. Intermittent fasting helped me hone the art of self-discipline and has led to profound spiritual epiphanies. My body was saying, oh no, no, stop. I still need to process the last meal you shoved down my throat, (laughs) but I wasn't listening. I just kept overworking my bowels like some kind of big shot corporate CEO. I don't know why I was caught off guard that it just swept some of that shit into my gut instead of my colon. So try the preferred, empirically proven diet plan of our ancestors practiced by everyone from Gandhi to Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey. You know it's not a scam because no one profits from you not buying their product. Intermittent fasting is also the diet plan of choice for making your stockpile of soup cans, cereal, ramen, and toilet paper last as long as possible while you're quarantined. If possible, consult a doctor before or at least thoroughly research how to fast safely before weaning yourself off of eating all the fucking time. Coronavirus has pried apart uncounted people from their income, including myself. Driving for Uber is currently my main and biggest source of money. While I could choose to keep patrolling the nearly empty streets for fares to pay bills and keep up with my overdue rent, I have opted to self-quarantine because I don't want to risk carrying the disease to my immunocompromised wife Jessica, a cystic fibrosis patient who is still recovering from a double lung transplant. 
The powers that be in America are currently fighting over the best way to help the economy. I repeat, the economy, not the people. As if the stock market and GDP alone are the best vital signs to monitor for the health of our nation. Andrew Yang, Zoltan Istvan, and Tulsi Gabbard, who have been sadly forced to suspend their campaigns for the presidency, have all championed the concept of universal basic income a standard minimum income that would be given to all citizens at regular intervals, regardless of their economic class, marital status, or other income. Unconditionally putting cash directly into everyone's hands is the fastest and safest way to improve a nation's infrastructure and economy. Poverty exists solely because of unequal wealth distribution, a wholly artificial scarcity created by the concept of currency. Imagine, if you will, what would happen if every single person received at least $1,000 every month for as long as they lived. No one would ever have to go hungry. Groups of four or five homeless people could pool their UBI and rent a share home. No one would be forced to stay with an abusive spouse or employer who they feel financially dependent on because they know they have that safety net of $1,000 per month to fall back on. And when deadly diseases like the coronavirus ravage the world unexpectedly, or unprecedented numbers of workers are displaced by automation-related job loss, as Andrew Yang explains in his book The War on Normal People, that guaranteed monthly check ensures that people have the flexibility they need to self-quarantine or find new avenues of income. Universal basic income is not even a new idea. It's been floating around for decades and was even championed by Martin Luther King Jr. Now one of the answers, it seems to me, is a guaranteed annual income, a guaranteed minimum income for all people and for all families of our country. Detractors often claim that UBI will cause inflation. That is only true if we print more money instead of circulating what already exists. And there are many ways to accomplish a reasonable redistribution of wealth, whether it be through Andrew Yang's proposed value-added tax on luxury goods or Zoltan Istvan's suggestion of monetizing federal lands. Perhaps we could even set a reasonable upper limit to the amount of money a single individual may legally possess. In fact, that last one could very well be the most effective way to slow inflation. When you reach the point where you have so much money that you can't really comprehend how much money you have, you might have too much. Another common argument is that UBI will enable drug addicts to continue using and circulating illegal drugs. And that is true. But for every addict that puts their UBI towards drugs, another who otherwise might have no other options, will put it towards getting sober. Illegal drug use is not only a vice for the homeless, though. There isn't exactly a shortage of wealthy people who partake in drugs either. As long as chemicals make us feel funny, we're going to find ways to use them with or without money. In fact, the worst drug, a substance that has been poisoning us since the dawn of mankind, is completely legal, has existed on the streets for generations, and has shaped our societies right in plain sight. I'm talking, of course, about money itself.
It can be hard to think of money as a drug, because our minds have become so dependent on it that we make all sorts of irrational justifications to get our hands on it. We manipulate, we extort, and we kill, just to get our next fix. Money makes us feel good, powerful. The more we have, the greater a rush it becomes. The less we have, the bleaker things seem to be. We are so reliant on it that we believe we cannot function without it. We make excuses not to share it because we value our money above basic human needs. We delude ourselves into thinking that money alone is what made our cities possible, what brought us to the stars, and what spearheaded our advances in science. But that is not the case at all. Our achievements as a species happened because underneath the addiction to wealth, we are a very clever animal. I posit that without money, we would still have made these advancements, and more. Consider cars, buildings, computers, etc., unhindered by budget and the need for planned obsolescence. Right off the bat, we would build things that last. Resources would be less scarce, and pollution would be easier to control. Imagine fresh art, new forms of music and expression, lovingly crafted and truly inspired, rather than more Hollywood formula movies and endless retreads of what was known to work before. All jobs that need to be done would still be done by volunteers who take pride in their work and receive payment in the form of contentment induced by fulfilling their passions. Doctors motivated only by furthering science and compassion for their fellow human. Baristas and cooks proudly sharing their creations. Car enthusiasts keeping our vehicles running as happy mechanics. Environmentalists keeping the planet clean and beautiful. No one would have to choose between staying healthy or endangering our communities by working when diseases like COVID-19 or whatever comes our way next rears its ugly head. This is the world that I believe we can one day live in, sober and free. But it cannot happen overnight. We can't quit money cold turkey because it would indeed be an insane shock to the system. We need to learn how to function, to breathe, without money, without the scarcity mindset. So I suggest to you today that universal basic income is not the enemy or an enabler of delinquency. It is a nicotine patch that can help dishabituate us from our reliance on money. It can help us separate and understand our intrinsic human value from our market value. Universal basic income can offer us a glimpse at real freedom and show us what is truly worth fighting for. I implore you to learn more about UBI. Check out Andrew Yang's new nonprofit, whose primary goal is to get UBI implemented, at movehumanityforward.com. And check out Scott Santins' thought-provoking writing about UBI at scottsantins.com. Reliance on the artificial scarcity of money 
is the most detrimental disease to the human race, and it is what gives the coronavirus so much power over us today. Things are bad right now, and getting worse. But it's never too late to begin turning things around and start making better choices. Coronavirus isn't the end of the world, but it is a dress rehearsal for the apocalypse. The choices we make during this difficult time will set the precedent for how we handle similar crises in the future. So let's iron out the kinks now, before we get to opening night. Tell us how you really feel, Persephone. Sometimes you just need to vent, especially when all of your patience is spent. And well, that's not the half of it. Be sure to rate the show and continue the conversation on Twitter at Persephone106, Podchaser, or in the Postal Roach Discord server. We're in the channel called The Void Persephone Shouts Into. If you have some disposable income right now, you can support Not the Half of It and get early access to episodes by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash postalroach. By sending as many one-time donations as you'd like to paypal.me slash persephonerose, or just pay it forward and help make the world a better place. Not the Half of It is written and produced by Persephone Rose. Theme song by Megan Rose Scott. Visit us on the web at postalroach.com slash nothalf. Production copyright 2020 by Postal Roach. We live in trying times. Anti-demon sentiment is at an all-time high. Gone are the days when devils could get together on a Sunday night to sacrifice some virgins and crack open a few cold ones. While we have been shunned and despised since our first ancestors arrived here from hell, today it's impossible to walk even a single city block without running into a self-proclaimed hunter. Living under this threat of constant danger, it has never been more pertinent to hold on to our sense of identity, and more importantly, to pass that along to our spawn. Holgar's first bloodbath is an exciting coming-of-age story for little demons that highlights some of the challenges our modern youth face. Taking place primarily in Hell, it gives us progenitors a nostalgic look back at our ancestral home. The trials of young, mischievous Karen Holgar are sure to surprise and delight your hatchlings as they learn the value of honoring the old ways. <laughs>